It's for the glory of God and the freedom of others. Long title, isn't it? But you got to get all that in. Breaking barriers for the glory of God and for the freedom of others. Because that's what God's all about. He wants us to live with liberty. He wants us to live in life and abundance and the fullness that he has. But there are some things that we have to understand, and I think we know them. First thing is there's always will be resistance to the call of God in your life. Always. You know, sometimes people take the Bible and they just look at the promises and then when things get tough, they go, why isn't this working? Why isn't the Bible working? But we have to take the whole scripture. We have to take the whole in, of the Old and the New Testament to understand that no matter what we do, when God calls us, there's resistance to that call. There's inner resistance that we have. And we struggle with who we are sometimes. There's outward, external um, resistance that comes from people. And we see that, you know, just think of the Apostle Paul. If you want to find out how how easy life is when you're a believer, he was was, uh, beaten with rods. He was whipped multiple times, 39 lashes. He was beaten, he says, more times than he could even count. He didn't even count them. He counted the, the beaten with rods, and, and he counted the, you know, the scourgings that he took because they were just a few. But he talks about beatings so many that he doesn't even remember how many. And you think about this. This is a scripture. This is the New Testament. This is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if they're resisting Jesus, if they're resisting his apostles, they're going to resist us. And we have to expect resistance. And so just understand that because then that way we're not shocked. Peter, you know, he was telling them in the, in, in the book of First Peter, he says, he says, why are you acting shocked that you're experiencing all this tribulation? I warned you ahead of time that you would experience these things, that there would be resistance. So here's the thing, is there will be resistance. But the good thing, there, there's good news in all this. The second thing that we want to learn before we even get into these three barriers I'm going to talk about breaking is God will always be with you and equip you with his supernatural ability. God always will be with us. That's how we're more than conquerors, through Christ, it says. So even though there's resistance, the world can't overcome us because Jesus overcame the world. It can't conquer us. It can't defeat us. It can't stop us from moving ahead in the things of God because God is there with us. You know, Paul said even in his imprisonment that it was going forth for the glory of God and that almost all of the the Praetorian Guard, which is the ones that guarded the emperor, they knew the Lord because he had preached the gospel to them while he was in prison because some of them had to guard him. And so he would just do his business, witness and tell about Jesus Christ. And they began to know the Lord. And so that's really great. He's in prison And it seems a disaster, but it's not because it leads to the salvation of those who are in the prison. That happened in Philippi, if you remember also. They were worshiping God after they had gotten beaten, cast into stocks. They were in stocks, but they were worshiping God. And there was an earthquake, and the jailer thought everyone got free, so he's going to kill himself because if you let prisoners go, they kill you. Well, they not only kill you, they probably torture you beforehand. And so he didn't want that to happen. And Paul said, stop, everyone's here. And then he says, what do I need to do to get saved? I love that. So God will equip us in the midst of whatever circumstances and resistance that we have and give us his ability. And then the third thing is God provides a way of breakthrough to every barrier that we encounter. God provides the way. When I just said that, I was just thinking of Abraham. You remember? He's taken Isaac up the hill to offer him as a sacrifice, and Isaac goes, Where, where's, where's the sacrifice? We got the wood, we got the fire, where, where is it? And he said, God will provide a lamb. And God did provide a sacrifice. 
Because when he raised that knife to be obedient to the Lord, he said, now I know that you trust me. He looked up and he saw a ram caught by the horns, took it out and offered that as a sacrifice. God will make a way of breakthrough for every, every barrier. And here's the good part, is that when we break through, God's glorified. God is always glorified through the things that he does, through the things that he accomplishes. He's exalted. So I want to talk about three barriers that we have and really the overcoming part and why we need to overcome because I think it's important. Because remember, we're breaking barriers for the glory of God and for the freedom of others. So go ahead and uh, turn to Exodus chapter so the first barrier that we're going to talk about is perfectionism perfectionism man it'll stop you in your tracks so perfectionism i tried it before and it didn't work and i don't want to fail again so (laughs) i'm not going to do it you know i tried this i tried christianity i tried doing this god said do this you know i tried walking in the water so i'm not going to try again i tried doing what God said and it backfired. I'm just not going to do it again. Or this perfectionism, you know what it also does? Perfectionism is this, I need to know more. And so we go, I'm going to go gather some books. I'm going to go learn. I'm going to, I'm going to do this before I do what God wants me to do, before I do anything that he says. I've got to learn more. I have to, have to know things. And so we go in and, and we think what we're doing is good, but what it does is actually, in some cases, stops us if perfectionism is behind it. You know, God calls people to go to school and do different things and to learn things, but Sometimes we do that. And then we do it this way too. Perfectionism says I have to do it 100% wrong or I'm 100% right or I'm 100% wrong. You know, it's just so crazy. Just it, it, it is how our minds are set and how we think of things sometimes. You know, we can say, oh, you know, I want to I, I wanna read the Bible every day. And so what we do is, is we'll read it for two, three, four weeks in a row, and then all of a sudden, oop, we miss a day because something happened. You know, there was an emergency or we were extra tired. Something happened. We missed it. Now we say, well, I might as well not even read. Now, don't tell me you don't do that. Some of us do that. That's why so, so many people, New Year's resolutions, 92% of people who make New Year's resolutions don't stick to them. Why? Because they go along and they're doing good till boom, one day it happens and it doesn't happen. And that's it. Well, I might as well just quit. And they quit. This was one, I was reading this story about this guy and he, he said, you know, he was doing some working out and doing some stuff in the gym and regularly and he was doing really well and he was actually accomplishing his goals and what he wanted to do. And so he never really ran, he was not a swimmer, and he never really biked, but he just got this wild and crazy idea that I'm going to do this mega triathlon super bulk thing, you know, like you got to run, you know, a marathon, you got to swim so many miles, and he, he never, he never did any of those things, he just worked out in the gym, and so he started on his goal, and then he couldn't meet his goal, and he quit. He even quit going to the gym, what he was doing, because he didn't do it perfect, because it wasn't according to his, his goals. And so sometimes we can let perfectionism get in the way of what we want to do. Sometimes we say perfectionism says, I need more skill. I can't do this until I have the skill. But have you ever figured out what John said is perfect in, in this sense of perfectionism is how are you going to get the skill unless you do it? Well, I can't speak until I learn how to speak. Well, how are you going to learn how to speak? (laughs) Get up and speak, and you're going to do it imperfectly because everyone does. You know, no one's ever perfect in everything they do, but perfectionism says, I got to do it 100% right or it's 100% wrong, and we stop and we quit. And what it does is perfectionism leaves us paralyzed and actually leaves us disobedient to God because we won't step out. Now, we've heard this from uh, some of the ones that have been coming to Wednesday nights. There's, there's uh, 
<clears throat> Bill Johnson, uh, Randy Clark, and some others, they, they have a saying that you, you spell faith, R-I-S-K, risk. Faith is stepping out. Faith is risking. Faith is going beyond the perfectionism. And so this is so important for us to get. So now let me explain where we're at. I'm going to just whip through this. We're not, we don't have time to go into all the fine details of the story, but I want to f- focus on a few of the sayings that are in here because I think they're important for us to get and understand because of perfectionism. So if you remember, Moses was born and Pharaoh tried to kill all the, the male children and he was saved, you know, they put him in, in, the, in that little raft and he went to Pharaoh's daughter. He was taken in and protected and raised up. And then he had heard from God that he was going to be the deliverer of the people. He heard God. He understood a message from him that he was going to do that. And so one day he sees this, this uh, Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And so he gets angry and he goes and he kills that guy, buries him in the sand. And one of the other slaves saw him do that. And then he, you know, because Moses was trying to help him understand, God's called me to be your deliverer. He said, who do you think you are? I saw you kill this guy. You're going to kill me too? And then he runs away and goes into the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. And so there he is in the wilderness, and God shows up in in Exodus chapter 3 in a burning bush. And he comes and he, he begins to speak to him. And so we're just going to jump in in verse 7. And we're going to read, again, we're just going to go through parts of the story because I want you to get some of the key interaction between Moses and God. Here's what it says. The Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So God says, I'm hearing this. And here's what he says. So I have come down to deliver them. Underline that in your brain. I have come down to deliver them. This is God speaking. I am going to do this. And he says, from the power of the Egyptians to bring them up to that land uh, to from that land to good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and Jebusite. And it says, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And here's what he says in verse 10, and this is kind of the fun part. God says, I've come to deliver them. And then he says in verse 10, Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh. Wait a minute, God. I thought you were going to deliver them. But I want us to understand this, is that anytime God wants to do something in the face of this earth, he wants to do it through a human being because we've been placed in positions of authority and power on this earth. We are his created ones. And if you remember what he did with Adam and Eve, he said, I give you authority over all the earth. Everything that creeps upon the earth, everything that's alive on this earth, I have given you authority over. You have power, and you are the one who are to overcome the world, to bring it in subjection to my kingdom, and you are to bring it in subjection to my power, but you are the one who is going to do it. And so this is very important. God always uses people to bring about his will. So he says, I am going to deliver them. And now he says to Moses, I'm going to send you. (laughs) Don't you love it? Well, God, if you said you're going to do it, just do it. And he says, I am, but I'm going to do it through you. And so therefore come now and I will send you to the Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt And of course we know this story so well, most of us, because Moses said to God, who am I? Now every time God says something, Moses has an answer. And I think we do too many times. Who am I? Who has never asked that? God calls us to do something. We think, who am I? 
Why are you asking me? Why don't you ask, you know, someone else? I, I'm, not, I'm not that great. I'm not that. Why are you asking me, God, to do this? And so then we think of ourselves as common. We think of ourselves as not able to do the things that God asks us to do. And that's what Moses says. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring up the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And I'm thinking in the back of his mind, he's thinking, Hey, God, don't you remember? I tried and it didn't work. Well, the first thing is, is the reason it didn't work is because he tried in his own timing and strength. He had what God said right but his timing was off. And the second thing is, is God is here right now standing before him and saying, I'm sending you. I am sending you. And so he has something to say to him. I am sending you. And of course, God has his answer. And his answer is almost always the same to every single thing that we say. You know, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I can't go out. and I can't do the thing you asked me to do. And he says in verse 12, certainly... I will be with you. See, God never asks us to do something on our own. He never asks us to do something without his participation. He never asks us to do anything without his promised presence to bring us in and to complete the thing that needs to be done because if we understand this, it's impossible. Go ahead, you, you go up. Well, even if we were just to say this, you know, Mexico doesn't have a massive military complex and all this stuff, but come on. Hey, John, what if God said to you, go down to the president of Mexico and say, let my people go, you know, (laughs) come on. And he's looking at you and he's saying, do you see like all the hundreds of soldiers that have, have weapons focused right on your brain right now? Get out of here if he even did that. But you know what I'm saying? There's this whole thing where where he's doing this. He's asking him to go and step into the life of a leader who wants him dead and to say, let my people go, makes no sense. But he doesn't ask him to go alone. He says, I'm going with you. I am with you. And that's the whole thing is that when God asks us to do something, he's with us. But we fail to see that because we say, who am I? We look at ourselves, we look at our inabilities, we look at this is too big, this, you know, and we struggle with these kind of things. And so certainly, he said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I, I've sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. God was going to lead them right back there to worship. And then Moses said, God, you ready? Here goes. Behold. I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to tell them all this stuff, right? I'm going to tell them who, who, you know, all about you, and then God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am ascending you. And so then what's happening is, in verse 12, he says, I'll be with you. So we're going to skip over this part, and I told you we're just going to skip. We're going to go to chapter 4. And he goes like this. Verse 1, then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Valid thing. Suppose I go to them and they say, Forget it. It's, it's, you, who do you think you are? Have you ever heard that? Who do you think you are telling me this? And he says, What if they say this? And here's the, the Lord's answer. He said, The Lord said, What is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Now we're going to skip reading through this whole thing. And so he he says, you know what? You're saying, well, what if they won't believe me? He says, I'll tell you how they're going to believe you. I'm going to give you signs and wonders. That's going to help them believe you. And he says, what's in your hand? He goes, a rod. And he says, throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a serpent. And Moses runs away. He goes, ah, you know, and God said, pick it up. So he grabs it by the tail, not by the head. He grabs it by the tail, and it becomes a rod in his hand again. And God says, well, if that's not good enough, here, stick your hand inside your garment. He sticks it in. He pulls it out, and it's leprous, covered with leprosy. And then God says, stick your hand back in. He sticks his hand back in. He says, if they won't believe the first two signs, I'll give you another sign. Go to the river Nile, get some water, pour it out, and it will become blood. He says, they're going to believe you because of the signs and wonders. You don't worry about whether they're going to believe you. You go out and you do what I ask you to do. 
And so sometimes that's what we think. Well, who's going to listen to me? Who cares what I have to say? And there's barrier of perfectionism, this barrier of I have to be a certain stature and all these kind of things has to come crashing down if people are going to be able to see what the Lord's up to. So then we go there. Well, what if they don't believe me? He gives them the three signs and wonders. Then we go back to uh, uh, verse 12. And so, is that right? Nope, verse 10. Verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord. Now he's kind of start begging. He's feeling uncomfortable. He's feeling pressured. What? Deliver all these people. He says, I've never been eloquent, neither recently or in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. He says, I can't talk worth a hoot. He says, I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. So he's going, God, you, you're mistaken. You got it all messed up. I can't talk. And I, you know, he says this, but have you ever read the rest of the book? He goes in and he, he never lets Aaron say anything. He's just, blah, 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 blah. you know, he, he's just always talking. He's always telling Pharaoh. He's always declaring. He's always proclaiming. But he's saying, no, I can't do it. I, I don't have the skills. I don't have, you know, maybe if I go to, you know, classes and learn how to speak right and do these kind of things and become eloquent, then you can use me. But God's saying, no, I want to use you right now. And here's what I love that, about this. God's answer. Who's made man's mouth? <laughs> well, I think God did. Who mute, deaf, or seeing, or blind... Is it not I, the Lord? It says, now then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth. And again, he's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to help you do the things that you need to do. He says, and I will teach you what to say. You're not just going there and, and doing this on your own. You're not just going in there in your own strength or ability. You're going there in my power. And you're going there in my name to speak forth what I ask you to say. And then, whew, then he says, Please, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. He's saying, all right, all my excuses didn't work. God, just pick someone else. Please pick someone else, not me. I don't want to do this. And then, whew, Here's what's the part about this when we argue with God about what he's asking us to do. It says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad to see you. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. I will teach you what to say. So basically what he's doing, God never lets us off the hook. So you might as well just get over that. If he asks you to do something, he expects you to do it. He, he'll send you help. He sent Aaron. He says, okay, you can't speak. Well, then I'll, I'll send you Aaron, but you're not getting away with it. You're going and you're going to do what I ask you to do. And he got angry at Moses because of his continued denial of what God was calling him into. See, when God calls us into something, we have to break through this barrier and we have to have to come to a point where we don't allow the things that are us. See, all these barriers have one thing in common. You'll see them as we go through them. The focus is us. The focus is me. The focus is our abilities. The focus is our strength. The focus is us, 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 us and not God, 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 God. Even though he's asking us to do impossible things, he is the, well, actually, he never asks us to do anything impossible. Did you know that? He said, go to Pharaoh, speak to him. Not impossible. They're at the Red Sea. He said, lift up your rod. The sea splits open. He could lift the rod. He couldn't split the sea. God does the miraculous through us doing what he asks us to do. 
ordinary things that anyone can do. Anyone can speak. Anyone can lift up a rod. Well, if someone's paralyzed, obviously not. But you know what I'm saying. Basically, anyone in the world can be obedient to what God says and do it. And then he does the miraculous. And this is what's so great. And so what I was thinking about this is here's, here's the barrier. Moses' barrier was his view of himself and his abilities. God's answer is, I will be with you. I'll give you signs and wonders. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. I will be there 100%. I'm with you. I'm not just sending you on your own. And what's at stake if Moses refuses to go? What's at stake is people won't be saved and delivered. Moses was called to bring the children out, and he did it with God's help, obviously. But if you think about this, people's salvation, their deliverance was dependent upon his obedience. And so the same works with us. What happens when we don't embrace our call? Every one of us has to break through this barrier of perfectionist. Every one of us has to break through the barrier of who am I, who do I think I am. Every one of us has to break through the barrier, but you know what? It's for the glory of God. Moses brought the people out, and God received glory. It's amazing how that works. So that first barrier of perfectionism needs to be broken. And we need to trust in the Lord. It's a simple thing. He says, I'm going to be with you. Well, there's a second barrier called fear. Man, that's a biggie. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Man, we, we can be afraid of everything. You know, you, you look in the books. You look in the, in the you know, psychiatric books and stuff like that. They have lists and lists and lists and lists of fears. They've got all these fancy names for fear. Fear of spiders, acrophobia, acnophobia, acra, arachnophobia. See, I knew it was something like that. I can't even say it. That's why I say I'm, a, I'm scared of spiders because it's easier to say. You know, fear of heights, fear of the dark, fear of being left alone, fear of going in public, fear you know, of snakes, fear of this, fear of that. Fear. We have fears galore, and they're part of our lives, but God wants us to break the barrier of fear. He wants us to move ahead, and he wants us to move into the things that he has for us. See, here's some of the fear barriers. The fear barriers is, oh, I don't have enough strength to do what you ask me to do, God. Oh, God, I don't have enough resources to do what you ask me to do. Oh, it's too scary, Lord, the thing that you're asking me to do. It's, too, it's way beyond anything that I can ask or think. It's way beyond. And, and, Lord, and again, we're looking at us. We're looking at our abilities instead of God's abilities. And this really becomes, becomes important. So I want us to see how this works, and this is important to me, is that God delivered the children of Israel, right? He did 10 miraculous, supernatural plagues to bring deliverance. And as Gail was talking about, the last of that was the Passover, he brought that spirit of death into the land of Egypt, and, and the Passover was the last thing. That was the last plague that God protected his people from because they were obedient to him and put the blood over the doorposts. And so they had these massive, incredible signs that covered the whole of Egypt. And you know what? When they left, it says they plundered the people of Israel. They didn't go in there with, with bows and arrows and swords and spears and say, give me your money. The people said, here, take it. Get out of here. We want you gone. And it says that through that, they plundered them. They came out with riches. Slaves who really owned nothing came out with massive riches, so much so that they could build the temple with it or the tabernacle. 
Remember, they took offerings from all the plunder of Egypt to build the tabernacle. So it really becomes important for us to understand that God's at work and he's powerful. But then why is it that when we see God and we see him do the miraculous that we're filled with fear? Why do we have it? <clears throat> you know, I was thinking on the way over, I hate fear. It paralyzes you too, just like perfectionism does it in a different way. We're fearful and we don't move ahead. So God, he tells the children of Israel, I'm delivering you out of the land of Egypt to take you into a place of milk and honey and all this wonderful stuff, right? I'm going to bring you into this land. And so God sends 12 spies into the land. And so if you want to go to Numbers chapter 13, or you can look up there, Numbers chapter 13 is the spies go in, they've gone throughout the land, they've been there for a long time, they've been spying everything out, they've been figuring out where all the cities are, all the stuff that's taken place, and here's what happens. So in verse 27, it says this, they're coming and they've been there in, in there spying for 40 days. And verse 27 says, Thus they told him, saying, We went into the land where you sent us. It certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought these massive cluster of grapes with them. He says, Nevertheless, and that's generally not a good sign, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified. And very large. The people are large, but the cities are large and fortified. Moreover, we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, giants in the land. It says, Amalekai is living by the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amusites, they're living in the hill country. And he goes and he tells these different locations. And so then they go and what happens in verse 30 Caleb says he quiets all the people down because they're freaking out now they're just freaking out oh there's too many it's too big it's too hard it's too difficult they're being filled with fear Caleb says we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we shall surely overcome it so here's 10 negative votes and here's Caleb we don't hear from Joshua for another second or two here but we hear from Caleb, he says, we should go in and get it, man. We should take it. God gave it to us. He said, it's ours. Let's go. He wasn't fearful in the least because God had spoken. And so then what happened is that out of all of this, now their decisions to, to disobey God, their decisions to not listen, they're going to get in trouble. So listen to what it says in verses 31 through 33. He says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against this people. Caleb, I don't care what you say. We're not able to go up against this people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, they first they said it's land flowing with milk and honey. Now, things are getting worse. It devours their inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in, in it are men of great size. There are also the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, part of the Nephilim. And we became grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. I'm telling you, these guys are totally deceived. I think the first part's right. We became grasshoppers in our sight putting on the other people of the land something that's not there. And we're going to see that in a couple verses. We're going to see it later in, in the book of Joshua, actually. So they say, we're grasshoppers in their sight. In other words, they're not afraid of us. They don't care. They're going to just come and crush us and destroy us. Now, this is the time 
when Joshua uh, gets to say his in Numbers 14, um, verses 6 through 8. It says, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregations of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey." Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregations went up to stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting in front of all the sons of Israel. The only thing that saved them was the glory of God showed up. So they're saying, don't fear them. And fear is a barrier that actually paralyzes us and stops us from moving ahead in the things of God. Fear of failure, fear of whatever. You know, like say we have a lot of fears. So fear stops us from moving ahead. Now this disobedience was the final straw with God. He said, that's it. Because you have disobeyed me, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they were going to start that trip. God said, because you've disobeyed me, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and every single one of you is going to die. It's your children who will receive my promise because the gift and the call of God are without repentance. They wouldn't receive it because of fear and disobedience and unbelief, but their children would experience it. And of course, Joshua and Caleb wouldn't die in the wilderness. They'd go and enter into the land. So let's go to Joshua chapter 1. And this is one of my favorite passages. I like this one a lot because I need it myself and I use it to encourage myself because this is the word of the Lord to Joshua and I think to me and I think also to you because it's his word. It says, verse 1, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross over this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. So he's saying it's time for the promise. It's time for you to enter in. It's time for you to go across and begin to do the battle. He says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Again, God's promises are good. They don't change. He says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. And he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So again, here we have God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the one who's going to go into the land with you to conquer the land. It's not just you. It's not just your strength. Now, why do we know that Joshua might have a problem at some point, thinking about this whole thing and having fear. I want you to hear how many times God tells him to be courageous and strong. I want you to hear that God tells him not to be terrified, not to be afraid. Listen to how many times he says this. He's underlining something because in order to go in and conquer the land, in order to go in and do what God's called you to do, it is going to take courage, it is going to take strength, but he will not leave you. And so we have to be courageous. See, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's looking fear in the eye and choosing God's way, even if you're afraid. Even if you're afraid. Faith is not fearlessness. Faith is trusting that what God says he'll do, and in spite of fear, we go ahead. So here's what he says to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land. 
Joshua was commissioned by God to bring the people into the land to make it a possession for them. That was his call. Moses, get them out of Egypt. Joshua, give them the possession. And he says, for the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commands you. Don't turn from the right or to the left so that you may have success. He says, if you're going to do it, you're going to listen to what I say. You're going to listen to my word and not turn from it. Then you will find success. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Here we go again. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he tells him three times. Three times, be strong and courageous. One time, very courageous. He says, don't be fearful. Don't be dismayed because I'm going to be with you. And so what? as believers, we need to look our fear in the face and we need to confront it in the power of the Holy Spirit. God never asks us to do stuff he's not going to empower us to do. God never asks us to step out without him being present with us. And so fear is something that, we, it's a barrier that we need to break because it will stop us from receiving our inheritance. But even worse than that, it'll stop us, stop other people from receiving theirs. So let's look at that, those barriers. So Joshua's barrier was fear. And God said, I want to give you strength and courage and a promise of his presence to always be with us. And when you think about this, what's at stake people won't receive their promised land. Have you ever thought about this, that the ministry that God wants you to do within this world, and all of us are called to be his representatives, every single one of us. There's none of us that are off the hook. It's not just preacher boys and preacher girls and you know apostles and all these kind of things that's called to do the work of the ministry. Every single person in the body is called into his ministry to do the work that God's asked them to do. And do you realize how important you are and how important what God's calling you to do is? That it will actually help other people receive their promised land. You're responding, God will help others enter into the fullness of what God has for them. And this one's a fast one. I don't know why my third point's always fast. Probably because I know I'm in trouble and I need to stop ahead of time. But our third area is pride. I was thinking about pride. What if I'm wrong? What if people think I'm crazy? What if, what if I look foolish? What if I fail? What, what, what if, what if, what if, what if? In pride, we, we, we look at ourselves. And have, have you ever done this? You know, I mean, I, I've been listening to some teaching on, on healing, and a lot of people say, well, what happens if I pray for someone and, and they don't get healed? That's just pride. That's just us looking at ourselves. That's just us looking like I'm responsible for this person to actually be healed when Jesus is the healer. He asks us to lay hands. He asks us to pray in faith. And when we do that, it's, it's pride stops us from stepping out because what if, what if? What if I say this word? I think I have a word of knowledge, but what if I say it and what if I'm wrong? And pride stops us. It's a barrier that hinders us from growing in the Lord. Can I just be real honest with you? You're going to make mistakes. Okay, there, did I say that? We're going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've learned some of my greatest lessons by saying, I'll never do that again. Why? Because I messed up. I thought, oh, this is right, and I did it, and I went, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. I'll never do that again, and I learned. But we'll never learn unless we step out. But a lot of time, pride stops us from doing that because, we want to look cool. We want everyone to think we've got everything all together and that we are perfect in every way. And there's perfectionism added to pride. But there's this whole concept 
And so what God says is very simple. You know, uh, through Peter, he said, he said this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so he can exalt you in due season. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God to come before him. Pride comes before a fall. But if we humble ourselves, God exalts us. Huh. I said this in one sermon just not t- too long ago, you know, maybe within the past few months. But God wants to exalt you in the eyes of people. God wants to exalt you in the eyes of people so that he can be glorified. He raised up Moses. He raised up Joshua. Why? So Joshua could be exalted? No, so that God could be exalted. So that his name could be honored. So that his name would would go forth. That's really important. God wants to exalt us in the eyes of people so that they'll come to us seeking wisdom. And it's not because we're cool. It's because the presence of the Lord is on us and he wants us to touch people's lives. He wants to draw people to himself through us. So William Randolph Hearst was, you know, he was this publishing dude and uh, newspaper guy, and he had newspapers all over the place. And so he he sent like a two-word telegram to some of his folks that were reporters and stuff. And he said, Puff Graham. Puff Graham, what does that mean? Well, in L.A., in 1949, Billy Graham was doing crusades. He was doing three weeks of crusades. And for whatever reason, this guy never met, never met Billy Graham. He never talked to Billy Graham on the phone or through correspondence. And he never met him afterwards. He just said this, Puff Graham. And what happened is they put his meetings on the front page Los Angeles newspaper, front page. And because it was him, it went all over America. And Billy Graham became instantly famous. And people from all these different, you know, the news media from all over just came flocking to L.A. to find out more about Billy Graham. And so in that moment, God exalted Billy Graham. And we know his life, how he exalts the Lord, and how he lived his life to glorify God, how he lived his life to bring people to Jesus, how he said, I'm going to preach the gospel. 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 And that's what he did for his whole life. God exalted him so that God could be glorified, so that people could be saved, so that they could come into his kingdom. So the barrier that we must break through is pride. God's answer is for us to humble ourselves. And the reason that we do it is so that people will see the glory of God. Now, I messed up. I forgot to read a couple scriptures. You don't have to put them up there, Lena. But here's what it says in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Remember how they said... We are grasshoppers in their sight. I want you to see a picture from the other side. This is in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Do you remember uh, the spies went in, they talked to Rahab, and here's what Rahab said. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water from the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Do you know what they're saying? I'm remembering 40 years ago. We're remembering over 40 years ago, God delivered you. And our hearts have melted. 
Then go to chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they crossed and their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. We look at ourselves and we think, Who am I? When we think about it, the kingdom of darkness trembles because you have Jesus Christ in you. And if you understand the authority that you have in Christ, you'll understand that that hell is terrified at you. Sometimes we're scared of the devil. But we don't have to be. So let's say this real quick. Let's look at this last slide here. There's one more, I think. We need to break through every barrier so that people can be saved and delivered, so that people can receive their promised lands, and so that people can see the glory of the Lord. His calling on your life is special and unique. There's no one like you. Rise up, step in, break the barriers so people can be touched for the glory of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for the incredible goodness of your name and for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We ask your blessing upon this time. And if there's anyone here that's never responded to the Lord Jesus Christ and made him Lord of your life, then I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to give you that ability to say yes to Jesus and to come to him and be saved. And anyone who might be listening to uh, the teaching uh, over the internet, you can come to Christ today. You can respond to him. And you can say, yes. So if that's you, I want you to say, Lord, here I am. I come before you. I give myself to you. I accept that in order to come to you, I must be forgiven and cleansed. I confess my sin to you and I say, I want a Savior. I need a Savior. And I come to you as my only help. And I trust you for my salvation. Lord, thank you. Take my life. I give it to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.